this is Coda Radio, episode 527 for July 17th, 2023. Oh, hey there. Welcome into Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and the business of the software development and the whole world of technology. My name is Chris, and sitting there sipping his tea, it's our host, Mr. Dominic. Hello, Mike. Hey, Chris. I am tired. I was up all night with Barry Manilow on the record player, making sweet, passionate love to the EU. Oh, no. I've been planning this for years. Uh, but let me tell you, I am exhausted. I am truly exhausted. It's, it's, just, it's just tough, you know, having long-term plans like that. Now, I, I can imagine, I mean, if you've been starting, you know, you've been laying the financial groundwork from the 90s and then, you know, you make your first big moves in 2014 and now it's really, it's, it's play go, it's go time right now. It's, it's go time. You've been, it's time to play ball, as they say. It's, uh, <sighs> it's quite the, the task, let's say. All right. Well, here's something to make you feel a little better. Maybe, maybe not. How much do you suppose an OG first iPhone, you know, one with like, uh, I think it had, uh, four gigs of internal storage and you know the one that shipped in 2007 no app store still sealed in the box how much money do you guess that sold for so i, I i've seen enough bob barker's prices right so now i don't want to go too high here so yeah right now it was in the box sealed still f- they say factory sealed factory actually sealed mm-hmm. Ooh, that's mm-hmm. uh 2000 All right, are you ready for the actual price of the original iPhone? Show me. $200,000. Well, I definitely didn't go over, at least. No, you didn't. (laughs) $200,000. I know. I wonder if it even works. You know, the battery could be totally dead. And there was even an 8-gig variant. This is just the 4-gig variant. Ludicrous. Is someone going to hold this like Gollum, my petting it and saying, my precious? I mean, I mean, it would have to be like they, maybe they came up with some sort of story like uh, this was one of from the private Steve Jobs collection. You know, <laughs> this was crazy. in the back of Steve Jobs pants after he had some Taco Bell. Although not as crazy as like JPEGs on you know blockchains that don't even exist anymore. So how are the bored apes doing? It sounds like things are a little rough over there. You know, I, I was saying this before it crashed, so I'm a little proud of myself, but I think the NFT scene was the symptom of peak money printing. I think it's, I think people just got super drunk or super high because, yeah. you know, the internet's for stealing JPEGs, right? Not <laughs> buying them. I mean, you nuts. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, let's see if we can uh, spread a little wisdom because Moss is looking for a mentor, I think. He says, hi, I'm a junior developer, graduated about a year ago. I'm currently working as a software engineer in a non-tech company. The company offers excellent pay for junior developers, and the work-life balance is fantastic. However, there aren't any experienced developers in this company that I can learn from. The senior developers who have been with the company for over 15-plus years are good at getting the job done, but their code lacks quality. Even as a junior developer, it's clear to me that they don't follow best practices and have a limited understanding of the languages they're working with compared to the YouTubers and bloggers I follow online. Since I started, I've been learning on my own, treating it like a personal project. Whenever I face a task, I rely on online research to find the best way to approach it. What worries me is that I had hoped to work with experienced people who could guide me in writing code correctly 
and structuring my applications to become a very good developer who understands its choices. However, in the years I've been here, it feels like I'm doing more of the same things I did at university, which just involved hacking things together until they worked. I'm worried that this lack of mentoring is making it difficult for me to become a highly skilled software engineer and maybe hindering my chances of becoming a software architect in the future. So my question to you is whether you think I'm exaggerating my concerns or what, or whether they will have a real impact on my long-term career. Also, do you have any suggestions on how I can find an experienced senior professional who can point me in the right direction and help me improve at a faster pace? Thanks. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, one, you know, hacking things together just so they work to get them out on time is a, it's a lot of the job. Yeah, I was going to say that doesn't really, to me, indicate inexperience or experience. It's always a series of trying to figure out how to hack it together. Right. It's. <laughs> um, I mean, I've been doing a bunch of Unreal stuff, and it's all duct tape. Right. It's. It's literally... Uh, what, what was the? I forgot the meme from XKCD, but it's like the house is beautiful on the front, but in the back, those pipes are leaking and it's duct taped together and guys running around. Uh, yeah. You know. And, you know, in 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 systems administration, um, there's this interesting phenomenon when a new person's coming up in the industry and maybe they've joined, you know, only a year or two ago and they're coming there and some, they're working with somebody who's been in for 20 plus years they will see a lot of like odd practices that seem like either they they are doing it the wrong way or it's not a best practice or whatever it might be because because they haven't had the years of learning when it's okay to compromise and learning when you really need to apply yourself versus going with the compromise solution and shipping because at the end of the day what matters is the end results that the people that are asking whatever it might be from you uh, you know, get, get, they get their results. They meet their, you meet their expectations and shipping as long as it works is generally what it takes. And so when you get more experienced and you get more comfortable with that reality, you tend to learn almost intuitively when to make those compromises versus when not to. And that is just part of wisdom, I think. Yeah. Cause really, really your job is not to write the, you know, you're not a, you're not a poet, right? You're not trying to write the most beautiful Ruby code possible or whatever language you're working in. You're trying to meet the business or the organization's end goal, whatever that is, right? Processing data, selling widgets, selling tires, who knows? Um, with that said, there is one area where that's not true. And that would be our good friends in the open source community. I think that's probably your best bet unless you want to get another job, if you want that kind of mentorship, because a lot of projects have very opinionated uh, maintainers and they have lots of, they're usually, you know, a lot of them know what they're doing. And they will definitely tell you if your pull request doesn't meet their, I mean, style, I mean, everything, right? Style guides, standards, whatever. Just be a little careful there because there's also a lot of egos. I mean, we've talked about a lot of the drama in some of these communities. Take, take a look around. Is there an open source project that you use all the time that you might want to pitch in for? That, that could be a good way. Yeah, it's a great way to get mentorship. Absolutely. And I didn't, I also, I didn't want to discourage the desire to improve yourself and continue to improve your code results. I, I actually, I do want to underscore that I highly commend that. And I think Mike's suggestion on where to go to get mentorship could be one of them. I just like to put it out to the audience. You could boost it in or write in and let us know what's a way that, you know, if you're in a workplace where you're mostly amongst peers, how do you seek out mentorship? Where do you go? Um, it sounds like you've already sought out YouTube and, um, podca and podcasts, obviously and blogs, um, that's probably a really good place to start. And now remember, some of those people you're going to be following, that's what they 
do. That's they're just 100 percent that all the time. So they're going to take it to the nth degree. Uh, they don't really have the more practical balance that you have in the real world when you're developing with corporate constraints. Yeah, that's a fair point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be nice, right? I mean, it's like it's the same thing with like hashtag van life. You know, the 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 version of tiny living that gets portrayed on YouTube or social media or blogs is like. 10% of the reality of what it's really. Well, and your, your, your incentives are a little different, right? Like when me and uh, Wes were doing the coding challenges, my incentive was not to do anything that looks sloppy and get yelled, you know, ripped apart in the comments. <laughs> yeah, there's, it's when it's open source or public viewable, there's that incentive. Yeah. When I'm, you know, working for clients, my incentive is to not send them an invoice that's going to cause them to be like pissed off and have to have like three meetings about why the invoice is so high. So Exactly. So I might yeah. be more willing to like, do something the quick and dirty way to keep them happy. The Coda Radio is surviving the adpocalypse with your support. Uh, we'd love to have you support us either through a membership or through a boost. You can boost by going to getalbi.com. You top it off either in-app directly or with something like the Cash app, if you already got that. Uh, then you visit the podcastindex.org. You'll find Coda Radio over there or just use the link in our show notes. And you can boost right from their webpage. That supports the show, and a portion of your boost goes directly to Editor Drew. It goes to the developers of some of the podcasting 2.0 apps like Fountain and Podverse as well, as it supports the podcast index. And we'll be reading your boost coming up later in the show. We have a goal of 500,000 sats an episode. doesn't quite completely replace a sponsor, but it helps get us pretty close. So we'll get to those in a moment. We also want to say thank you to our members, CoderQA.co. You get an ad-free version of the show. You get a special feed. You get the coderly when we post that. And of course, you know that you are, produ you are producing the show. Through your support, every single month, we get a good run estimate of what it costs, and we know we can actually make the show. It's our foundation, coderqa.co. So Shopify has finally come up with the feature I have wanted for 10 years for meetings. Now, Shopify has been kind of restructuring their company in general. And I'm going to link to an interview with their COO. It's pretty fascinating. They've kind of tried to break up that kind of mentality and culture that's really common in companies right now where everybody wants a ladder to get into management kind of right away. This was a really crazy phenomenon that did not exist when I was in corporate world 10 years ago. Then fast forward to a few years ago when I was working in corporate world, uh, like people within six months of, of uh, being on staff were beginning to ask like, okay, so when am I going to be taking on a management role? And it was a big part of recruiting is we had to offer people management roles from the beginning to do recruiting because they weren't interested in anything else. And they wanted, if they didn't get the management role, they wanted clear trajectory paths. And I was initially incensed because like they clearly hadn't earned a management position. You know, they barely even done any of the job ever. They were generally brand new and they were very young and it felt in incredibly entitled to me. Uh, but it has become a culture that is becoming more and more pervasive is, you know, you have to be offering a management structure. And a lot of people are probably listening, getting pissed to me because, of course, they want that. Shopify has tried to change it. And uh, I think they've got a real interesting solution where they're kind of de-emphasizing the manager career path and making it worth taking other career trajectories, trajectories in the company. But something else they've done, Mike, which is, I think, so obvious it should already be built in to Google Calendar, but Shopify deleted 12,000 meetings. They deleted all the meetings on their calendar this year. Then they asked everyone to set their calendar invite uh, accept status default to no, only accepting certain invites. 
And then the stroke of brilliance is they looked at the average wage cost for the positions that are invited to a meeting and they put an estimated meeting cost at the bottom of every meeting invite, depending on the length and the amount of people and all of that. It puts right there at the bottom. It tells everybody that's accepting the meeting, this is how much this meeting is going to cost. And I have advocated for this for years because I had to constantly fight to avoid getting sucked into meeting after meeting. And there are staff and anybody that works in a company that's got a decent size knows this. There are staff that end up in meetings all day long and it just totally takes over their schedule. And it's so expensive for a company. I mean, the brilliance here, Mike, delete all the meetings, only accept certain meetings, and we're going to put a cost estimator on every single one of these. Oh, God, this is brilliant. Do you, do you love this as much as I do? I love it. I'm uh, so Shopify is one of these shops. I really wish I'd thought of a better word there that I, I hear about all the time. They're super big in the Ruby world because uh, they're like a giant Ruby shop, apparently. But I don't personally know much about their like their organizational structure. Aren't they? But this is where correct me if I'm wrong. Weren't they one of like the first to be like doubling down on full remote uh I think even before COVID, or is it, or am I confusing them with somebody else? I mean, it sounds like them. Okay. Yeah, I'm, uh, I, I think this is brilliant, right? Cause one, I, I you know, we talk about remote work a lot at, uh, meetings. I, I find meetings to be like a, a tag up like once a week is like fine for a project, I think, as long as it's quick, but in general remote meetings, I, I don't think they work super well. But I've noticed they tend to be shorter like than in-person meetings. It just has me thinking back to all the years, you know, I've had like large, unbelievably long meetings, how much money people were spending on that, right? Just the idea of putting the dollar value in the calendar invite is, is just awesome. It is so good. They say a 30-minute meeting with three employees can cost between $700 and $1,600. And an executive version increases the cost over $2,000 for the same meeting. Uh, what do you think of this? This this resonated with me. A meeting is a bug that some other process didn't work out. That's how they want to view it. It's kind of, it's kind of brilliant. I really want to see like in six months how this is going. And my, my uh, anticipated outcome here is they're just going to save a ton of money. And their velocity, especially development velocity, is going to go up. I'm on the exact opposite end of the spectrum. I've in 2023, I think one of my big failures as a business manager is meetings have completely dropped by the wayside. I just, and I don't really sync up with anybody. Uh, I am moving like with the adpocalypse and just all the show load and, and trying to work and, and do sales. It has been such a blur that like connecting up with folks and, you know, discussing, hey, this is what we're doing in the shows or this is a new initiative we're doing or here's our plans for Linux Fest Northwest. It just hasn't been happening because there just hasn't been a moment of time to do it. And then, like, you combine that with the fact that you folks are all really busy as well. And so it's an it's also like an it's additional ask to say, hey, take a little bit of additional time at this specific time and then trying to make a time that works for enough people. It's just like crazy. And so this has been a huge failure of mine in 2023. And I was better about it. A few years ago uh, and just 
horrible about it now. But do you have any structure for the folks that you work with or when you're working with more like contractors, you bring them on for a little while and they need to be in sync? Like, do you have a structure for this? Uh, you know, we've tried many. We tried the daily stand up thing, but that, you know, it was almost impossible to keep that to 15 minutes, right? I kind of like to lean on Trello super hard. It's basically just a can can band Kanban. Not sure what the right pronunciation is. Sure. Yeah. Board of like, you know, transparent product status. Meetings are, you know, necessary for customers because it's just, you know, doing this forever. It's been my experience that you need to do a little glad handing, right? To keep people just feeling good. Uh, sometimes regardless of how the velocity on the project is actually going, right? I've had cases where in the past I figured, well, we're, we're ahead of schedule. I don't need to you know, call this guy. I don't need to do anything. And it, the silence made the person nervous. So I do like to tag up uh, either once a week or once every other week with each project. Sometimes it's just me. Sometimes it's not. I don't know if what I'm doing is optimal, right? better than what i'm doing though I, I i could totally i used we used to get a lot of value out of trello i was never the biggest contributor to it but i think if i if i were to pick it back up i could see that helping at least people would have some reference oh yeah well, i use Tre- trello is like our bread and butter at tmb it's uh to the point where i had to buy the damn enterprise plan and Atlassian's kicking me in the teeth with the charges so it's in fact i can tell you like project success Trello has been a huge lifesaver, especially, you know, communicating, juggling different projects. People are in different time zones, right? Sometimes the client is like, we have, we had one case that he's in Canada now, but the dude was in Australia, right? Yeah. And that's just yeah. tough to, that is. to deal with because, yeah. Uh, in that case, they have their own process that we just kind of plugged into. But it's, um, yeah, when we're, I, I don't know that internal meetings have been super useful. Because what, what I feel tends to happen is there's always somebody who has some other constraint. Yes. And they kind of just say what they have to get off this, the uh, Google call. <laughs> yeah. I'm a cheapo, so I'd probably, there is like a, a, a Trello type cards task management app for NextCloud. There you go. Could probably get away with that because I'm not a very heavy user. I've always had, a, it's always been hard for me to have that discipline. And there's so many projects and then like so few resources to actually do those projects that they just kind of stall out. And yeah, uh, yeah. Mm. you know, it'd be interesting to make some of that public too, perhaps. I wonder, does GitHub have a, they do, don't they? Yeah, GitHub has a, a, a Kanban board too. So if you want to just do that, um, and actually you can tie the the cards to issues on GitHub. Right. So that might be the way working pretty well for us. Yep. Yeah. Hmm. All right. And, and if you're listening and you have any tips or any advice, please boost it in or coder.show slash contact. Tailscale.com slash coder. Head out over there to get a free personal account for up to 100 devices, unlimited subnets, and it's a great way to support the show. So what is Tailscale? Simply put, it is a secure mesh network that you can build between your devices, mobile, server, desktop, whatever it might be in just minutes. It's a zero config VPN. And it creates a WireGuard protected flat network between all your systems. It is so fantastic for software developers. Maybe you want to set up an ad hoc network and you don't want to fuss with setting up firewalls and dealing with NAT. It also is great for businesses that need VPN. Like who doesn't need some sort of VPN access from time to time? But you don't want to have to hassle with a VPN server and maintain that. The expense there can be ridiculous. 
TailScale is built on WireGuard, but devices connect directly to each other using WireGuard's noise protocol. It builds out that mesh network, and it's the best security VPN in the business. Like, that's WireGuard is the tops. Like, we watched it for years because we were so excited about what it could create, and this is it. Doesn't matter if you're behind doubled NAT. Doesn't matter if you have firewalls in between you. TailScale just works. I put it on my VPSs. I put it in my VMs. I put it on my Home Assistant instance. And the subnet routing is particularly great because I can't put the TailScale client, say, like on my solar controller or on my battery status monitor um, or even just my hardware uh, LTE router from Peplink. I can't install TailScale on that. But I have other devices on the network that have TailScale, and I turned on subnet routing. And now I can get to those devices when I'm remote. And it's been a game changer for monitoring the batteries and monitoring my solar generation could never do that before without TailScale, and it's so, so great. And there's lots of nice features in there, like TailScale Send. TailScale Send is sort of like AirDrop, but for all your devices, doesn't matter their OS, that run TailScale. You get it, right? There's like all these little features. There's lots of little things in there, too, that just make it better, including integrations directly with applications and IDEs and all sorts of things that you might want. So check it out. Support the show. Go to tailscale.com slash coder. You get it for free for up to 100 devices. It's not a limited time thing just for free for a personal account. Tailscale.com slash coder. Well, as we're live right now, there was a story that started as a slow burn this morning. And since we have been live, because I started uh, the live stream like an hour ago, this story went from, I don't know, fourth or fifth down on the list to number one right now in the news. And it is that millions of sensitive U.S. military emails were sent to Mali due to a typo. So for 10 years, a decade, millions of emails, some sensitive, simply because people, instead of typing .mil, would just type .ml. Oh, Jesus. And those, yep, <laughs> yep. And a, uh, a Dutch entrepreneur noticed this, set up a, a catch for these, and tried to notify for a decade, <laughs> tried to notify the U.S. military Eventually, it became so overwhelming, he wasn't able to continue to collect all of them. However, his like company's gone bankrupt or whatever, and so now it's about to be seized by the local government. All of these private, potentially classified emails, I don't know, private at least, uh, are about to be seized by the local government unless <laughs> the U.S. government can sort this out. And our Dutchman is resting comfortably in a black site in Poland. I mean, here we are in 2023, and the United States government lectures us daily about cybersecurity and cyber awareness and the risks. We have to protect the kids from Instagram. And ransomware, bro, ransomware is so dangerous because people don't do backups. So ransomware is so dangerous. And, you know, we have to have seminars and we have to have entire industries and events and we have to spend billions of dollars investing in cybersecurity. And yet all it takes is a typo for private email communications to go to the completely wrong destination. And it doesn't matter how much money we spend on cybersecurity awareness or investing contractors or whatever. How are you going to solve this? Email's been around forever. I know, I know how you solve this. How do you solve something like this? You uh, be the U.S. government and actually spend some money, write a custom email client for each OS you use that everybody has to use. And in that client, you, when the person hits send, you have a check and it scans all the 
things in the two and the CC and the BCC. And if anything is not dot mil, you make them individual. And this is literally having done military contracting. This is literally how they would do this. You make them confirm each and every one. Yeah. And, you know, you could also in theoretics, you know, in the theoretics of the worlds, you could just on the SMTP server where you're sending the email out, probably have like a rule for the dot ML domain where it just auto rejects sending it. And bounces it back. There's going to be like that one case where they want to send it to someone with a .ml. I'm telling you. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it was like that. And then a decade ago, like they undid it for some reason. And this is the result. And they just didn't know forever. Yeah, th- this is something that only the U.S. government could do. <laughs> and it's just incredible. You know, after all of the sanctimonious preaching about cybersecurity as if they have any idea. And, you know, this kind of crap, this kind of like basic low level crap is happening all over the place. A army base up north or more north than where I am. They did a project and it was basically a pen test, right? The people on the blue team were so concerned. They were like we they with browser based attacks. They did all kinds of crazy shit. like they tried to disable copy paste. They tried to do all these things. How do you think the red team got in? I don't know if I have a specific, but I'm betting, I'm betting it's like a basic, almost like layer one thing, like physical access or something really just obvious. They hired young women to walk around the parking lot of the base <laughs> okay. and simply, quote, accidentally drop USB drives out of their purses. Oh, I think I've heard of this. And these eager young soldiers wanting to see ooh, maybe a picture of this girl, it had a rootkit right on it. They put it in their laptops. Bang. Man, this is why you got to have burner laptops, boys. Come on. Aircap. Aircap, my son. Put NixOS on there and just put it on a laptop with no internet connection. Better yet, put macOS 9 and no one will know what the hell that is. (laughs) So reportedly 117,000 misdirected emails just since January of this year. And according to the Financial Times, many of the emails include medical records, identity documents, information, lists of staff at military bases, photos of military bases. So much better. Naval inspection reports, ship crew list, tax records, and more. So definitely classified. Included travel agents working for the U.S. military, U.S. intelligence, private contractors, and military staff members are all in the batch. <laughs> Embarrassing. How How is this not news, right, for 10 years? Just Yeah. Says he tried to get a hold of him for a decade. He literally was the little Dutch boy trying to slow the stream of U.S. military information. So the Financial Times says this uh, uh, Zohans Joiber, or however you say his name, this Dutch entrepreneur, tells he's been happening for over a decade. He's had repeated attempts to warn the U.S. government. He began noticing their requests for a non-existent domain like army.ml and navy.ml. So he set up a system to catch the misdirected emails, which was rapidly, this is a quote, was rapidly overwhelmed and stopped collecting messages. <laughs> it's Twitter-level fail while his servers are just <laughs> melting. Oh, I mean, I wouldn't touch it. You know what? If I noticed, I mean, that's that was my first reaction. When he said that... I'd be afraid of going to Leavenworth. Yeah, man. I, I would be like, I would be like, okay, I'm just going to, I'll report it, but I'm not collecting these emails. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Stepping away from that. That is, kind of, that is true, because now you're holding what basically is a toxic, uh, toxic piece of data, right? And now the local government wants to seize it. Which I would think the U.S. government would have a problem with. Yeah, yeah. So I'll keep an eye on the story. I have a sense we're probably not going to hear a lot about it. It's so embarrassing. They're probably just going to... You don't think he'll have Wi-Fi or, uh, you know, Matrix chat in that black site in Poland? (laughs) Yeah. 
He should, if he does, coder.show slash matrix and let us know. I probably wouldn't use my real name <laughs> when disclosing this either. I'd be like, no, nah, I'm. Yeah. 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 Wonder why his business went under. Maybe, uh, maybe there's a story there. I don't know. Well, he was actually honest and did it just sell it to the Russians or the Chinese. Ask not what your podcast can boost for you, but what you can boost for your podcast. We have a lot of great support coming in this week. And our top boost is the Pod Sage himself, our baller, Dave Jones, 98,888 sats, a Satoshi Slam. Yeah, uh, he's also uh, kvetching about the fact that Intuit and QuickBooks owns MailChimp. He says he agrees with Mike. The enterprise software market is just horrible now. Locking and competitor kneecapping is all they care about now. Yeah, fire. Reach it, Dave. He says they still advertise APIs as a feature and they barely work. They're just a checkbox. You know what? That is so true. That is something that wastes so much of my time. I'll get a, a lead in that somebody wants to do like an Alice integration with, you know, insert something.io here. And I'll reach out to their, if they even have a developer relations team, or usually I just reach a sales guy. And two weeks later, the guy will come back. Yeah, we haven't touched that in six years. Oh, yeah, we implemented that uh, on version seven, and uh, we haven't really maintained it. And we're on version nine now, so you'll have to get. We'll have to get back to you when we have a new API that has been updated for version nine. Yeah, but there was a guy Carl who just got really drunk when they <laughs> implemented an API, but he he's gone. He's in Poland because he got some emails. I don't know. Yeah, I have I have a real time correction coming in from uh, our uh, back office. I have mislabeled the 98,888 sats. That's just Dave being a great guy throwing an extra 10,000. Technically, for the meme, for the clarity of the meme, a Satoshi Slam boost is 88,888 sats. I am programmed in multiple techniques. I got it. I got it figured out. They never found Satoshi, right? Nope. All right. Are you ready for some bacon? This is Dutch bacon. Now, are you going to give me some? Okay. Satoshi Dutch bacon. Yeah. Then it turns into kielbasa, though. (laughs) Okay. I think our man in the Netherlands over here, Johannes, is Satoshi. That's why they'll never catch him. If I was Satoshi, uh, I would not be Japanese. I would be, yeah, another nationality, but I would use that pseudonym to throw people off. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. yeah. So he, I'm with you, actually man. A, First of all, he's not a Japanese dude, right? It's if, if Satoshi is still alive then they have the most self-control out of any person on earth because they mined, you know, because they were had the early, early on, you, I could mine crazy amounts of Bitcoin. They mined something like a million Bitcoin. And then when they disappeared after that, their, their Bitcoin, their keys have never moved. They've never been touched. They've never been accessed. So they're sit, if that's true, they're sitting on a million Bitcoin and they never even, it got to $60,000 and they didn't even sell a little bit. Like, wow, (laughs) that's if they're alive, that's an incredible amount of self-control. I don't think the NSA is going anywhere. Oops. uh, Uh, It is Satoshi a person. Oh, maybe not. Maybe it's AI. Maybe it's AI from the future. I'm still going to NSA, but maybe it's AI created software from the future to save humanity. And they planted it. It's future Elon coming to fix current Elon. It's a whole (laughs) Terminator 2 situation. Now, this makes a lot of sense. I, I can't disagree with that. Uh, Root is good comes in with 50,000 sats using fountain. I have to agree on the Red Hat Enterprise source code issue. I think they're being exposed as parasites, the clone makers. At least CentOS had a migration path to real rel if you wanted support. But taking rel's work and and charging for it seems sketchy at best. 
I kind of agree. Um, you know, did, are you, I don't know if you saw, but Seuss has come out now and they're, they've announced they're going to launch a sort of rel clone foundation and they're going to invest $10 million to make a rel compatible clone. So you can basically claim an application level compatibility and then they'll publish source RPMs. That seems like a lot. And also odd, right? Because they're creating their own competitor that isn't necessarily going to be application compatible with SUSE Enterprise Linux, which is their bread and butter. You have to feel that Red Hat slash IBM is going to aggressively try to break that compatibility, right? They're going to do things in, you know, rel proper. I mean, yeah, I mean, how could, yeah. How could they not? They really created a worse problem for themselves. They, and every time they try to do something to correct the CentOS problem, it seems to get a multitude worse. <laughs> I mean, it's like first they had the Rocky and Alma problem, and now they've got Oracle, SUSE, Rocky, Alma, all of them gunning for it. It's, uh, I don't know, man. It seems like they just made a lot bigger problem for themselves. It's like when it's like when a little kid gets in trouble, and then in the process of getting in trouble, he decides to talk back. They, this may or may not have happened this morning. Um, and then he's just digging a deeper hole for himself. Yeah, it's funny how that's, yes. Hmm, notice that. Space Ninja comes in with 22,802 sats. Coming in hot with the boost. Am I the only Luddite that isn't hopping on the AI hype train? Like, I don't need that much processing when I just want to look something up. Having to read books for me just seems sad. Like, dystopian sad. As for using it for development, I started coding because I like to learn the challenges and the victory of solving a problem. I'd rate my knowledge as a 5 out of 10 and feel that if I switched to ChatGPT, I'd probably learn nothing. Sure, I could better serve my clients, but I'd also be less skilled later on. So you're completely missing the point of ChatGPT. I'm going to put something in the element chat room. All right. All right, let's see. This is called, this is the La Chancla Drug Ballad. Now, this is a Mexican folk song in both English and Spanish that I had written for my wife. Uh, who in this song I have dubbed the infamous drug lord, the drug queen pin, if you will, La Chancla. This is the ultimate use of ChatGPT. There will never be a more practical use that makes me as happy. Ah, you've made a little song here. I like it. It, Ed, it's perfect. I'm trying now. I'm hoping ChatGPT 5 can put like a mariachi guitar riff behind it, you know? So that's how I'm using my $20 a month open APIs. <laughs> description you know i i think space ninja is has a point yeah they're kind of like almost there but you're right they're missing part of it um to your to your point one of the one of the fun things i do with the kids is if we've done something that day or we've talked about something that sticks in my memory i go over to chat gpt and i say create a kid's bedtime story uh with three kids named and i put my kids name in there and i say and like in, in this case we found some bunnies in our cornfield. And so I said, uh, and, and have it involve bunnies in a cornfield with a secret hiding spot in the woods. And the, the youngest discovers the bunnies. And it then, you know, creates like a five to eight paragraph to mo- or more sometimes. Sometimes I have to, to tighten it up. A kid's bedtime story. And they love them. I, I just want to point out in the chat room. Other guys are saying that they use it to draft apology texts to their wives and girlfriends. Oh my, oh, I like how we've all decided to help <laughs> intermediate our family relationships. <laughs> there was a South Park episode about this, right? Also, if you need to interrogate on a subject, um, so if it's a topic that might require you to open up four or five tabs, like you'll do a Google search, and then you'll like look at a take from Stack Exchange, you'll look at a take from Reddit, 
And then you'll look at a take from a discourse and you'll look at a blog post and you'll kind of maybe a forum post. and You'll try to correlate all the information. This is what I do. Right. And I'll, I'll try to correlate all the information. Maybe I'll take some notes. But with chat GPT, like take, for example, gardening and we're trying to troubleshoot what's wrong with a tomato plant. You can you can ask it specific questions. And then when you when it gives you an answer, you can interrogate that answer to get down to maybe what's the problem there. Um, and that can be really useful. Or if you're trying to remember a historical event and you want to know what was this historical individual involved with back in this particular historical moment, it can help you sort that kind of stuff out. But it's not going to make you a historian. Um, and it, that's where it can maybe serve a little bit better than Google. And I think that's if you think that's useful. Well, there you go. That's ChatGPT. If you find that to be mildly interesting and maybe not all that useful, that's why we're kind of skeptical and think they're just making a big mountain out of a molehill. On a lot well, of and their shares went down significantly as of, I think, Friday. So maybe they bounced back yeah. up in the morning. I haven't well, usage is dropping down, right? right? I mean, what is it? It's like Clippy as it should have been, right? It's the Gandalf the White of Clippy. Yeah, so. it really that's it, it. really is what we were promised with a lot of these uh, assistants or, yeah. The only fun, so I have to say, ChatGPT is useful-ish. I miss Microsoft's first one, or first two, Tay and Sydney. There's nothing like watching a 12-year-old Japanese, or was she supposed to be Japanese? Or did he just, maybe that was Twitter <laughs> harassing her, uh, turn into a fascist on, you know, on Twitter, which isn't that what Twitter's for, within a day. And then Sydney trying to get a New York Times reporter to divorce his wife <laughs> and becoming a stalker. I, that was... Microsoft yeah. seems to have some insight into what we really want. It drama. We love drama, yeah, right? I could, I'll also use, you know, I'll use it to process text like Wes is saying in the chat room and have it converted to a different output. Uh, Bard, Google's chat interface thing has just introduced OCR capabilities. So you could take like a screenshot or you have a JPEG of some text and you can say, hey, take the, you know, give me the text out of this and it'll structure it in a way you can use. Um, and, that, you know, yeah, nice. Sometimes it's stringing together apps for you, really. It's it's like we talked about back in 2017. It's it's just more intelligent bots that understand, uh, you know, general human language a little bit better and have access to a more robust set of APIs. Well, and that's – and the the, uh, the data sources is also very controversial now, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they're getting sued by – what was her name? Sarah, Sarah Silverman. And there's a new lawsuit too, right? Isn't uh... – who got pissy about it? Was it Stack Overflow? Stack Overflow, Reddit, Reddit. I mean, the yeah, list a bunch grows. of them. It's so yeah. we we might end up in a situation where it actually gets worse temporarily because they have to like it's 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 weird, right? Because how do you prove unless it's like regurgitating your book, like in the Sarah Silverman case? How do we prove that Chat GPT, you know, stole this specific Angular for loop binding thing, right? And they're not going to make it easy. They're not. Yeah. And they have enough money. They'll talk to it, but right. they won't actually. They have enough mm-hmm. money to sit there in court forever. So uh, we got some more support from Sir Alex Gates, the podcasting 2.0 consultant, a total of 20,050 sats. Boost! He thanks us for our courage and says the upcoming Babylon 5 animated film is going to be interesting. The only other show I'd like to see a reboot for is Stargate, currently going through SG-1 again himself. He says he misses that early 90s, 2000s era mix of episode and content and story arc. Okay, I want to get to that second. Um, I want to back up. What about what about animated Firefly? If they could bring back the actors to voice the characters, animated Firefly. Yeah? So Nathan Fillion is uh, just tapped to play the Green Lantern by DC. Uh, so that's probably not going to happen. Oh, okay. All right. Well, I thought if you're going to reboot something. And isn't Josh <laughs> Whedon like Persona and Gratina now? Oh, you're right. I forgot about that. 
All right. To his second point about missing the early 90s, 2000s era mix of episode content and story arcs, you know, um, never happened. I, I have been complaining about this is with the streaming services, you wait two years between seasons, you get 10 episodes and then you wait two years. And now with this strike going on, it's going to be horrible. But I wanted to play a clip. Uh, this is if you've watched Star Trek Picard, this is the actress that plays Raffi. She's not my favorite character. But she also speaks to this issue. The actors are also just as frustrated with the current streaming short season production cycle. Not, you know, they want they want to go back to the 90s, 2000 era style as well. Play. It's a really short clip. She's she's talking fast because it was for social media. But this is the actor's perspective. We all remember back in the day, there was a 22 episodes. It would start in the fall and we'd all watch that. And it was like nine months of work. Now they have this new thing, streaming short series, 10 episodes takes like four or five months to do it you do that in good faith you agree to it you say that and then they hold that show decide whenever they want to drop it drop it all at once and then they can wait one two even three years to let you know if you're even picked up not not even if the show is picked up if you're going to be picked up on that show that's painful that's painful i mean it sucks it it sucks for them too they got to sort something out but it, you know I mean, uh, don't they have a glut of stuff? Like just, yeah, that's my thinking. Yeah. It's like if they if they go on pause, there's so many shows I could catch up on. I'm not really worried about it, but I do I do kind of like the other thing is anything that I can kind of feel a little compassion for is the uh, extras, which are represented by a different guild, are fighting this uh, this new idea that the studios have where you're an extra, you come in, you're a background performer. They capture your likeness while you're there for that day. They pay you for the one day, but because now they have your likeness, they can use your likeness forever as a background animated AI character or whatever. Yeah, and just because I used to know someone who tried to do acting, the extras make like a five bucks on a pack of juicy fruit. So that's a really, it's a really shitty sort of thing the studios are trying to do to them. Neural LP sent us 20,000 sats across two boosts, but no message, just supporting the show. How Was Right came in with 4,201 sats. He thinks copyright protection is not important. And I kind of was baiting a little bit last week. He says copyright law is a degradation of basic property norms, meaning because of copyright, you cannot use the prop your property the way you see fit, even if you aren't encroaching on anyone else. Um, he gives a thought. He says, here's a link to a thoughtful breakdown about why the idea of intellectual property is BS for my under and he goes on to say uh, with Noster. From my understanding of the Nostra protocol, it's trivial for someone to host their own image and then all of the requests can be logged or recorded for the source IP. Ah, I see. So your profile image, you could put on your own web server and they get an IP of every client that loaded that image. Twitter or a centralized service would usually act as a proxy so users can't find each other's IP as easily. Uh-huh. And he links me to a Nostra privacy write-up. I will give that a read and also put a link to that in the show notes. I don't really have a comment on the copyright stuff just because I don't think I can speak intelligently to it. It feels like things definitely get abused. <laughs> I can say that. It feels weird, though, right? I, I feel like, you know, I was trying to get, what is it? What is OpenAI's image generator? Oh, I don't know. I'm not a fancy uh, plus user like you are. I have to use stable diffusion on my own. I am very upset that I'm paying for this. I thought that I could give it like, for instance, Chris Fisher's hair with a teal naked behind him from Stargate SG-1. And it would maybe put your hair on teal. Maybe you would dress be dressed like teal with only like that, you know, Egyptian loincloth thing. Sure. 
And what I got was, I'm sorry, that goes against our content policy. So I'm like, okay, oh. <clears throat> I get it. So, so no global dong. Fine. Yeah. Let's remove the word naked. Mm. No, it's, it's the Stargate that got me in trouble. If you do something that's a, a known like character, oh, it won't do please. it. What is the point of this tool? It should be a meme generator, right? Like, you know. Boy, that shows you how they're going to hobble it right there. You know, f- fat hungover Mario, right? These are yeah. things that are funny that I want to spam people. I mean, I want to share intelligence. Can I make a recommendation? Yes. Lexica.art, L-E-X-I-C-A.art. You sign in with, you know, an account and you can do a few generations for free. All right, hang on. Um, Mario. Yeah, you got to go to the generate tab. Uh-oh. You can search for an image. They got a lot generate. of ones. But I, I I think they do good work. We're, we're doing it live. We're doing it live. Sure. Just like Bill O'Reilly. Yeah. Signing with my work email. You're going to give me a fat Mario or what? Let's do Mario at a gay bar. Let's want to see how good he looks. Yeah. I've wondered about Mario sometimes. You know, he's always with Luigi. There's just something. And help Toad, please. <laughs> All right. It's slow. Did you just you just have that on the board? A Mario power? Oh, up? oh one of the many Marios I have. Let me just, I'm just restraining myself. All right, we're at the last ten percent. Let's go. Yeah, we just sent everybody there. We sent, we just sent everybody, and it crashed. <laughs> Image generation. Yeah. <laughs> Damn it. You'll have to do it when we're not live. Because you know what? Like I don't want to be mean to anybody. I just there can't be. A, I mean, how many GPU instances can they have behind that thing? Right. Well, especially since we, and when this drops on the feed, they're going to get hit again. So. <laughs> yeah. Well. Sorry, guys. Yeah, I'll put a link in the notes. People can try it. I don't it know. Like, who doesn't want to see, like, you know, strung out link or. Well, it's just, it's why we're going to have to, it's going to, this kind of stuff, the real art's going to be done with the open source tools. I, I got it. Ready? Whoa, hold on. Before you go there, save it. Just cut. That's a huge flip. All of a sudden, like, we're going to go from, like, using the proprietary tools to make the best art to the open source tools make the best art. Okay, continue. Well, that, that's good, though. That's, uh, remember the Google memo? They have no moat. I think that's yes. true yep. to a point. Yeah. Captain Lorca on the unemployment line. Oh, man, I could think of so many awesome Star Trek ones. I hadn't even gone there yet. Ready? ready? Uh, Commander Worf doing the hula hoop. That's pretty great. That's pretty great. How, how about Captain Picard wearing a Hawaiian shirt? I love it. You know, just, Although I think that's yeah. actually an episode. <laughs> oh, yeah, he did go to Rise of that one time. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Mirror Mortals comes in with a row of ducks, 2,222 sats using fountain. I feel like I'm the opposite of you right now at the moment, Chris. I feel like I need to be stepping on the gas to accelerate the podcast. I'm at the right moment trying to set up all the infrastructure. And uh, at the moment, he says he's trying to get scheduled for live shows with minimal extra editing needed. Good idea. But he says, enjoy your rest and chill. Yeah, I agree. You know, we can be at totally different ends, especially because you're going value for value from the get go. So you're not really having to deal with the transitions and dynamics of a crappy ad market. Uh, keep us posted, mere mortals, and uh, tell us what you're doing. And thank you, everybody who boosted. There was a couple on there that didn't make it. We had uh, nine boosters in total across 13 boosts. We got a lot closer to our goal of 500,000 sats. We made 318,663 sats. So we're getting within spitting distance, but I think it means we're going to need a few more people to step up because we've had some really solid contributors, uh, and we just need a little bit more help getting across the line. So if you like to boost, you can get a new podcast app, podcastapps.com, and join the podcasting tutorial revolution transcripts, cloud chapters, boosting, of course, and many more features, like almost 30 different features that podcasting has needed for a long time. And more and more shows are supporting the live tag, so you can stream the live recordings right there in the podcast app. It's so slick. If you don't want to switch podcast apps, I know a lot of you love your app, you can boost from the web. Get albi.com, you top that off in the app directly. 
or you can use the app, like the Cash App, Strike apps available. There's several. I think the Cash App's pretty great. And then you can just send it over the Lightning Network because it's like uh, it's like SMTP, but you don't have to worry about uh, getting the .ml wrong. And uh, then you go to Podcast Index, find Coda Radio, and you can uh, boost us from there. And, of course, a big, ginormous thank you to our members, CoderQA.co and Jupiter.party, if you'd like to support monthly that way. Mr. Dominic, is there anywhere you want to send the fine people before we get out of here? Yeah, go go help that Dutchman out in that black site in Poland. It seems like he's having a bad time. Uh, yeah, we, you know we must have a listener in that area. Somebody give us a lead on what's going on. Let's help this guy out. <laughs> poor, poor guy. It's just nothing but, like, dry kibasa all day long. Oh, yeah, you know it. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, go to alice.dev. And uh, I am now on threads, although I continue to, like, not using social media. And now that isn't unless I can get my trolley AI generator for memes working, then different story. Mm. But yeah, so I may or may not post things occasionally there. But yeah, I would say just go to Alice.dev if you want to reach out. There you go, Threads, huh? Mm. Yeah, it's weird. I saw I saw a story that if you search for marijuana on Threads, uh, like the first result is like uh, addiction help information. Well, it's yeah, because like, Zuckerberg is like doing this whole, <laughs> you know, redemption so, tour. Oh, man. He sure is. You know what? He should like pay Elon a royalty. No one's reputation got so trashed and then immediately repaired with. I know by him doing basically nothing, just standing aside and uh, holding Elon's beer for him. Like, actually, I what I actually really think Zuck did right this year was the open sourcing of their large language model stuff. Like, I think that was a huge deal. Yeah, we should also add that a lot of their PHP stuff, like the hip hop uh, engine. Uh, is really good. Facebook does actually do a lot of good open source stuff. It just just PHP. And like this last kernel and the next kernel, massive improvements, more just like performance and refinements, just really like dialing in ButterFS. It's Facebook has been dogfooding ButterFS for like five years at massive scale. And they have hired like the core developer of ButterFS and some other full-time developers who are just working on ButterFS all the time. And it's getting better and better and better. And it's like Linux users are getting a really nice file system now. And it's thanks to Facebook. <laughs> it turns out Facebook has secretly been a good contributor to the open source community for like 10 years. All right, we better get out of here. It's getting weird. <laughs> Before Zuckerberg buys the show and says, see, I'm a nice guy. Actually, you buy us. Yeah, there you go. We'll be a threads only uh, production. Uh, you can uh, counter Tucker's programming with the coder program. <laughs> oh, God, Tucker. That was so Links sad. to what we talked about today are coder.show slash 527. You'll find our RSS feed and our contact form over there. You're always welcome to join us live. We record Mondays at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern over at jblive.tv. And come say hi in our Matrix chat room. Deets at coder.show slash matrix. It'll just send you right to our general chat. Come in there and say hi. Thanks so much for joining us on this week's episode of the Coder Radio Program. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. And we'll see you right back here next week.